You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, uh, Stokes Family Office, Lanyap Podcast. Doug and Greg Stokes here. Took a week off. Uh, we both went uh, on vacation for spring break with our respective families. I was at the beach uh, in 30A with uh, my family for the whole week. It was really nice. And, and Greg was in New York just for a few days with his son, Will. Um, maybe I'll start and talk about my my trip. And then, Greg, I'd love to hear about New York. I, I just love New York City. I want to hear about that. But um, we had a great time. We went to uh, the seaside watercolor area. And I think the best component of that trip was uh, just being able to sit on my porch weather was super nice and, and we were on a pond and watched my six-year-old son, almost six-year-old son, Anders fish for in that pond for like six straight hours um, and catch fish too. So that was good. Watch him do that. And then riding bikes and, and going to the beach and going to the pool. And our other brother, Pat was there as well. We got to hang out with him. So um, Greg, how was your trip? It was great. And I would uh, classify it more as a trip than a vacation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which which I generally reserve for vacations or with my wife and trips or with family and for business. But um, we had a really good time. It was a, a daddy son trip. We flew up to New York on a Thursday and we flew back on a Sunday and um, we saw a play and walked around a ton. We're going to talk about we actually we we're talking offline about the um, what we saw when we were walking around New York City. We spent we probably walked 10 miles over the course of two and a half days around midtown, midtown primarily, and New York was popping. There were so many people on the streets. Did you Central stay Park. in Midtown? We stayed in Midtown at this hotel called the Barclay, which is a historic hotel that's nothing fancy, but it was perfect for what we did. We had me and my son in a room. He was on a cot, um, and we, but it was probably like a 15-minute walk to Times Square from our, our place. And we But we walked everywhere. We walked from our place to Central Park, did playgrounds and stuff in Central Park, and uh, let my son to sort of like discover that area, went to great dinners and uh, took him to Aladdin, which was an awesome show. There's nothing real, like Broadway. Um, while walking around, we also went to the Empire State Building. We did a ton of stuff in, in a very short, short period of time. It sounds exhausting. It was exhausting, but it was good. It was good for him to, to see that. And um, he's got two, two sisters, and so it was nice to have some some man time. What I noticed, though, from a business perspective in terms of walking around New York was it was absolutely popping with tourists, but the there's a tremendous amount of vacancies on storefronts in Midtown. We went to Soho and that was that didn't seem to have the same problem. But in Midtown, there was essentially these these storefronts were were advertising that they had tens of thousands of square feet available, and it seemed to be like on every block. And that's that's something that's been we've talked about on other podcasts with with REITs that have exposure to the office space um, in those cities, but like New York. This, and this was a, this is uh, in today's wall, today's April 20th in today's wall street journal, Manhattan's top office landlord looks at plan B. This is uh, goes through SL green realty corporation. Well, let's see what their stock price has done over the last year. It is, uh, was at uh, what? $75 a share. A year ago, it's now at 25. Um, so down 60, 66% over the last 12 months. Um, 
and the whole article just talks about uh, current vacancy in in Manhattan is at seventeen and a half percent. Manhattan was the the epicenter of the financial crisis in two thousand and eight, uh, when all of the sort of white collar um, investment bankers lost jobs due to the collapse of Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns and and uh, other large banks. Vacancy at that time got up to twelve and a half percent. So we're we're basically fifty percent higher in vacancy than we were uh, during the peak of the financial crisis, uh, two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. And so, the whole article talks about uh, what these these uh, r- uh, REITs are going to do to reposition themselves. And one of the uh, you know number one, I think there's just going to be a lot of pain in that space. And the uh, number two. Um, there's about 500,000, uh, uh, the city is 500,000 short of its an- anticipated needs for housing. Just New York's still you know, hotter than ever in terms of a place that people want to be. Um, and so they're talking about some of these old redundant buildings, converting them to, to residential. I don't see any other use case besides uh, housing. I don't see uh, these companies coming back and having the same demand for office space, especially in sort of these older, uh, less trendy, off, huge office buildings, uh, you know, of you know, the '80s and '90s that you know people are looking for today, more more of a tech-enabled world. Right, especially in like a city like like Manhattan, where people have to commute in an hour and a half each way. You, companies are finding that their employees can be just as productive if they come in on a flexible schedule. It it just doesn't seem to make sense to be paying like an exorbitant uh, um, price per square foot for this prime real estate for an office um, use. So I, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that those stock prices are getting hammered. Um, I don't. Th- on the same token, I think that so in that's particular those particular parts of the country, like New York City, for example, have really been suffering from an office uh, market. But there's other cities that are actually doing really great, like New Orleans, for example. I, I saw that there's a couple of buildings that are up for sale here, but I also saw in the NOLA.com the uh, occupancy rate in Class A office buildings in New, York, New Orleans is like 82%, which is like right around um, where it's been for the last several years. So certain cities. My, my like question York, on that is how many are just because people are locked up into a lease and maybe half the people are actually in the space but the it's still occupied so to speak but you know the square footage that they need is a lot less and so as these leases roll off what's going to happen to uh, you know releasing whether it's you know I, I just don't see situations where people are expanding their office footprint more so than people are reducing the office footprint and, and what does occupancy look like after that I think that's um, totally right it, the other thing too is and you you should showed me this earlier is um, the uh, data on U.S. surveys of workplace arrangements and attitudes, percentage of employees that are fully remote uh, in January of 2022 was about 17% of employees that are on a fully remote basis. That's down around 11% now. And so there is this return to the office space movement that's going on. But uh, it seems to be more so around flexible work versus fully remote or fully in office. Yeah, I think that's accurate as well, too. I mean, we have employees that work function in that same capacity, and it works for us. 
but the idea that of, of that particular individual or individuals not coming to the office ever, I don't think that's really practical from a like a team building standpoint. But I do see that's that what you just said in terms of companies that have rented square footage that they're probably not using it 100 percent and they're probably going to be cutting down. I think that's logical. The other thing is that particular article that you talked about that there's the the potential to convert some of these buildings to residential. I know that that exists to a large degree for some of these really old buildings, like historic office buildings that have normal size windows, et cetera. Those are very, those are practical to convert to residential. But I'm curious to see what happens with some of these office buildings that were built in like the 1980s that have, have these ginormous windows that certainly wouldn't be up to code from a residential standpoint. Um, and also just are essentially these superstructures that are um, have all these false walls. I don't know the practicality of converting those to residential. And I've heard from people in that particular industry that there's really no use case for, for these types of buildings, like our building, for example, that was built in the 80s or, or 70s, 80s, 90s, other than office. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, but there's going to be a lot of pain in the commercial office space um, in the next several years, for sure. Yeah, that's on top of um, this this. CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed security issue, where over the next three years, about a trillion and a half um, dollars worth of loans will need to be uh, refinanced at, um, you know, when the the loans were taken out, the value of the real estate in a pre-pandemic world was much higher, occupancy levels were much higher, um, interest rates were much lower, and now we've got um, lower occupancy, higher interest rates. What happens to uh, in a refinancing situation for a lot of these buildings? It's uh, it's going to be a, a, a very interesting commercial real estate market over the next several years. But there's a, there's also a you know there, there's a I think that that is somewhat uh, siloed to to office in particular. I think values have changed across uh, the real estate spectrum. But uh, from the perspective of like a complete commercial meltdown, um, I think. The office is is in trouble, and and there's going to be some repositioning there, likely some foreclosures. Um, you know, the banks taking the keys back essentially, and then you know people trying to buy distressed assets and and repositioning them as as something else, whether it's residential or otherwise. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think there's something like 30 different categories of commercial real estate, and office is just one of them. And this that's the one that seems to be in the news quite a bit. Hopefully, we can get. Um, an expert that knows quite a bit about that space to chime in on it. And we're in talks with um, some some individuals right now um, because we do think it's going to be an interesting dynamic over the next several years in terms of what happens, especially in markets that are really sensitive to, to, the, um, to that particular work-from-home movement like New York or, or maybe having have uh, exposure to industries that are getting really hammered right now like uh, technology in San Francisco, like we talked about previously, San Francisco vacancies, office vacancies are at like 30% right now, which is nuts. And if you consider the fact that people are probably just paying for space that they're not using, it's probably up to 50%. So yeah. a lot of pain coming in that space. But again, it's a very small um, or, or it's one one category of a broader subset. Um, but it's, it's let's shift gears, Doug, and shift gears to a minor degree because there's some data on other uh, real estate that just came out today, specifically residential real estate. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. What what happened today, and what's your what's your uh, takeaway? 
Yeah, um, Redfin, which is um, a you know, real estate brokerage platform, uh, also has uh, you know, real estate agents. If you didn't want to use a traditional agent, you can sell your home through a Red, Redfin agent. Uh, they also have a, a really great research arm. Uh, they came out with a, a report today on March, and uh, really two things that stood out from this March report. Number one, uh, U.S. home sales price prices fell 3.3% year over year in March, which seems low to me in a, in a broad from a broad scale, but 3.3% nationally, uh, largest dip since uh, 2012. Uh, just w- one point there. In 2021, year-over-year increases were 25%. In 2022, year-over-year increases were 15%. And so a 3% drop from that is so- somewhat of a mean reversion. Um, and the other thing that I think is really interesting is that uh, pending, um, I'm sorry, uh, sales that are list- listed uh, sales are down 23% year-over-year. So there's a, su- a supply crunch and uh, a decline in sales prices. So uh, that that is sort of my thesis for uh, for residential homes is that we may not see these massive swings nationally just because people have locked into lower mortgage rates. They don't need to sell their house, and uh, instead of you know taking a a bath on the value of the home, they just sit on it for a few years and wait for interest rates to normalize or the economy to recover. And uh, I think we're seeing that in in new listings. Um, so new listings are the lowest on record, and they're down twenty three point three percent. This so what you just provided represents an average. If you look at the actual regions of the country, it's pretty interesting. If you basically, if you look left to right, west to east, the uh, markets on the west coast, Phoenix, Colorado, et cetera. Are all even or dragging down the, the numbers, and if you look basically at the middle of the country, Chicago down to New Orleans, to we're actually part of the the positive trend in this situation, which is yeah. an odd place to be in. But anyway, prices have have held up here and on the East Coast as well too. So on the whole, prices are down, but they're especially that's the West is basically West, and uh, um, yeah, it's basically it's basically Boise, Idaho. And then a bunch of uh, California uh, countries. So um, prices, uh, Boise down 15%, Austin down 14%. Then it's Sacramento, San Jose, Oakland are the three worst. And then you said sort of the um, flyover states um, are the ones that are, are really winning right now. So Milwaukee, Omaha, Knoxville, Camden, well, I guess that's New Jersey. Um, but yeah, so those are the, the basically it's a, a rush to value, right? I mean, the, everything had been bid up uh, in the whether it's Sunbelt or West Coast or sort of Mountain West during COVID, and it's relative value right now. Anything middle of the country is still fairly cheap on a relative basis to the rest of the country. That's right. Even when you're take. paying like four hundred thousand dollars for a property, you put six percent debt on it. It's not a big deal. But if you buy in that same median price home in Los Angeles at you know, I don't even know what it is, probably around a million or more, then it's it gets to be unaffordable. Um, so that that's the, I totally understand that logic. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, it's, it's definitely, housing is such a, a huge component of the economy and it's definitely, it's not a good economic sign to have a, a major slowdown in housing, but I, I, I would want to take a step back 
and not get too frightened over a, a slowdown in housing just because we saw such huge gains in housing in 2021 and 2022. You would expect some breaks to be put on, especially if interest rates are higher. So um, I would say not a great sign, but also um, just take that with uh, an understanding that there is a, a reversion to the mean that occurs in really all sectors, and especially housing, which is very cyclical. You know, it's it's even more accentuated. We talked regionally in terms of um, primary residences, but the overall market for second homes is is way off. This is another Redfin chart. Mortgage rate locks for second homes are fifty two percent below pre pandemic levels. So, as you saw during the pandemic, everybody was trying to escape cities, and buy, the demand for vacation homes just was going bonkers. Also. The, the cost of capital was like 2 or 3%. You could put 2 or 3% on debt and escape the city. And now that whole dynamic's changed. It's gotten a lot more expensive, obviously. And um, there's not that same sort of need to, you know, get your get on the road and get out of the city. Cities like, we, like I just mentioned. Cities are cool again. Yeah. Cities are cool again. New, New Orleans is actually kind of fun right now. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. there. We went. To, I went to French Quarter Fest this past weekend. There's like probably a hundred over a hundred thousand people out there. It was fun and vibrant. Um, I saw we went to we were at an event on Tuesday night at the Poncha Train, and while I was a hotel in here in New Orleans, and while I was outside, I was talking to a guy who was visiting from Paris. So I mean, the, the city's really just got so much energy, and the same thing goes for a lot of big cities right now. There's a lot of things going on, and um, and right that same desire for people to to escape doesn't certainly doesn't exist, and that's re- reflected in the data. Although that you still see a lot of people wanting to to go to certain hotspots, vacation hotspots. Yeah, so I I would say um, in, in terms of the direction this is going, this it's just a whole normalization effect. So um, you know, people it wasn't a normal thing for people a, a vast number of people to have second homes pre pandemic. Uh, that seems to be ending, and it wasn't normal to have year over year home price increases of. 20%, 25% followed by 15%. Uh, that seems to be normalizing. Another thing that's normalizing, and we've talked about this a bunch, but I just want to reiterate this, is is inflation. This is a really great quote from Scott Granis, who, uh, whose blog, uh, uh, Calafia Beach Pundit, that we've we've uh, referenced a bunch on this podcast. But I want to read this, and it's, it's really important as we look at what the Federal Reserve is going to do during uh, their next meeting in May. Um, he says, he says this, my take, there are only two things you need to know about inflation today. Number one, without the owner's equivalent rent component, which makes up about one third of the CPI, the CPI would have declined at a 1.6% annualized rate in March. And number two, owner's equivalent rent inflation has peaked and will almost surely decline significantly in coming months. In short, our national inflation nightmare is over. If the economists at the Fed can't understand this, they should be fired. There is absolutely no reason the Fed needs to raise rates further, and every reason they should be cutting rates, beginning with the May 3rd FOMC meeting, if not sooner. What do you think about that from Scott? Well, I think that that weighting of owner's equivalent rent is totally misleading because it doesn't reflect what's actually happening in real time. It reflects a lagging effect. Um, So I think that there is some truth and what he's saying, and there's probably some truth on the other side of the equation where it's if you take out that component, but there's still some there's still inflation and 
and rents on a, on a macro basis. And then I'm sure there's also some inflation on owners equivalent rent, but certainly not to the effect that they're imputing. But I think, yeah, they're absolutely looking in the rearview mirror. Um, it's, it's like analogous to driving a car without a sort of uh, a speedometer. And they they're probably they basically are not looking or they're looking at a speedometer that's reporting what's happening, you know, ten minutes ago or whatever. So I think that they are um, they're they're if they decide to raise again, it's probably a mistake. But I don't think it's the situation is as dire as that individual is reporting. But I think that they're, they're probably the job's probably already done and probably has had already been done, you know, two or three months ago when they're continuing to raise. And they'll probably realize that when the, the lagging data that they're looking at. And two or three months reflects basically confirms what's actually happening today. Yeah, and one thing that I think is is really important that Jerome Powell always says is that they're going to be data dependent on their decision making. But there's got to be some sort of common sense component to this. Like if if you're seeing that inflation in rents is still eight percent as as the last inflation numbers uh, came out and said, and then you're seeing national home prices are down three point three percent on an annualized basis and and even significantly more and in other major cities with, that have high populations uh, you would have to say that there's some that that, that 8% number has just got to be wrong and so you would you would act on that and so i yeah i said this last time i i thought they should pause um, before the last rate hike that did 25 basis points but this the whole silicon valley bank um, issue it solidified it for me that um, the Fed is going to continue to raise until something breaks. I, th I, f I felt like that was a breaking point, and they continue to go. And so um, I would I would hope that they pause here. But if they do raise by twenty five basis points, which the market is implying, I would I would say I'm, I'll sort of uh, make my case known that uh, I would think that's a mistake. And it would be in line with history that the Federal Reserve uh, uh, raises rates beyond where is necessary and, and causes a a downturn as a result, or at least as a contributor to the downturn. And so um, we'll see if they can uh, can sort of adjust uh, the the historical trends and, and do something differently this time. Yeah, there are people like everybody else, and they're prone to making mistakes, and they, they, they function off of historical data, and they like to look and reflect back on a particular Fed chairman in the 80s, 70s and 80s called uh, Paul Volcker. And... Um, so they they want to this. I have a feeling that uh, that Chairman Powell, um, like when we we talk about Chairman Powell, it sounds sounds like he's a you know a, like a, a a world leader or something like that. But it's so if if uh, Jay Powell continues to do what he's doing, I think he's doing it based upon the sort of um, fandom that he has for Volcker, and Volcker basically smashed inflation. Jay Powell wants to do the same thing, but basically. What Jay Powell and a lot of the policymakers in Washington did was get us into this situation anyway. So it's this really sort of schizophrenic um, thing that's happening right now. Um, but we'll see what's going to happen. I, I agree with you. They've already done what they need to do. It's pretty. I'm pretty amazed that at to, up to this point that the economy has held up the way it Absolutely. has. Yeah, and that's. I mean, there was a um, article today that I sent you by Sam Rowe, and, and we, we basically go back to the same authors. Uh, to read data, but um, he he was uh, essentially he came up with the the following conclusion that if we do have an economic slowdown, um, it, the expectation would be that it wouldn't be a, a horrible you know two thousand and eight style recession, and that uh, the reason for that is that 
consumers are are still in great shape, which is why everything's sort of held up to the point that it's uh, done now, even with uh, higher interest rates and, and just general slowdown and and, and war in, in Europe. Um, U.S. household balance sheets are in excellent shape. This is as of uh, this is from Apollo. Uh, this is debt to uh, to uh, net wealth is lower than lowest it's been since the early 1980s. Um, same thing from J.P. Morgan. Debt payments as a percent of disposable income, 9.8 percent. Uh, it's never, other than in the last two years, never been lower. Uh, in first quarter of 1980, it was 10.6%. The fourth quarter of two, 2007, it was 13.2%. And so still well below uh, historical norms. And then um, you know, spending is still strong. You know, unemployment rate is at 3.5%. In 2017, it was at 4.5%, and we were in an economic expansion. And so um, the... The Federal Reserve is is estimating that that uh, unemployment rises to about four and a half percent by the end of this year. That would just uh, put us in an it would be recessionary, but it would be put us back to where we were in two thousand and seventeen when we were in a expansion mode. So um, again, these are things got out of whack with COVID, uh, home prices, interest rates, work from home, uh, and I think this is just another. The uh, government just giving people money, basically. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. Right. So the 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 issue was is that you had all this money that was just injected into the economy, and there wasn't an increase to the goods and services available to people, and so the prices of those things went up, obviously. So now that that you know we're trying to retract from that situation, uh, things should normalize, but there's a psychological component to inflation, obviously. So I do think that. If it, but like I, like I said, I am. I if you if you were to ask me if the if the Fed raised rates five percent in twelve months or whatever, whatever they did, it's you know in that ballpark. If they if there would be an immediate recession, I would probably say yes. Um, and so far, there hasn't been any sort of evidence of a recession. But even if there is a recession, and you try to take that information and imply impute a strategy to your portfolio, a lot of times the markets. If you look at history, markets go up during recessions. So it's not like you can, even if you had that information, that you could do anything with it. But again, I'm still surprised from a just a you know macro standpoint that up to this point, we haven't really seen any sort of slowdown in the economy. But there obviously could be something brewing. There are some signs of weakness in terms of what we talked about at, at, at length in terms of the bank failures we're seeing in the housing market. What you're seeing a lot of times, and you also could say that there's a recession of the poor that's going on right now, meaning that inflation is really hurting people that are living paycheck to paycheck, that, that food represents a bigger uh, portion of their uh, paycheck than somebody in the middle class or upper class. Um, but I'm certainly not seeing it. If you just, just, just out of curiosity, if you're interested, we were talking about going on a family vacation over Christmas. If you look at ticket plane ticket prices going out that far, the prices are ridiculous. Um, so yeah. it's it's a uh, you're certainly not seeing any sort of like signs of sort of cyclicality would really be affected. Um, so it's sort of cyclical things that normally or get get hit in recessions that are or you don't see any sort of, of an effect. You see the opposite effect actually. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, coming up on 30 minutes. Uh, we're going to have a guest next week. Somebody that's um, another asset class we haven't talked about yet is uh, collectibles. And so uh, maybe the the premier 
uh, Yankees uh, collector, Yankees memorabilia collector is going to be joining us next week and uh, should be an interesting conversation. And then, as Greg said, we're working on getting uh, somebody that's deep in the uh, office to residential and general um, commercial real estate industry uh, as a guest. And so a uh, couple guests on the docket and, and then you know back to Greg and Doug banter after that. Thanks for joining us, guys. If you enjoyed this, please give it five stars, share it with your friends and family, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.